Welcome to Bloombox Growing Deeper. I'm Sarah. I'm Hannah. And we're on a mission to help you become the gardener you want to be. Hello, everybody. Welcome back for Nut Harvesting Part 2. And Hannah's here. Yay! (laughs) Sorry, I had to miss the last one, everyone. I had a bit of a family thing to address, so I'm not on this one very much, and I wasn't on the last one. But thank you, Sarah, for just rolling with the punches. That's okay. Dave gave a great interview last time. It actually, we had so much to say, we are rolling over into this episode. So. Mm -hmm. Dave and I are going to finish our conversation on nut harvest, and we're going to focus a little more on if you're an individual harvesting versus harvesting as a business, as an agricultural business. I did outline that interview, and while I was outlining it, I was like, oh, I don't know how they're going to get through all of this. Yeah, we didn't. (laughs) But Dave did stop at the award ceremony Mm -hmm. and compliment me on how well organized it was, and I said, that was not me. (laughs) Hannah gave us a great outline. You should... Do not want to be part of the episodes I outline because we have no idea what we're talking about. Yes, we do. It's all good. But yeah, I'm excited to hear what Dave has to say about harvesting nuts for the individual, especially as we come upon holiday season. You yes. know, it's like a American thing, I think. Maybe maybe other cultures do it. I feel like European, it. too. Do they? Yeah. Um, I could be, I'm not to, European. I don't know. But I think it is. To do nuts. All kinds of nuts yeah. around the holidays. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Yeah. Right? Just get the Chinese ones now instead of the American exactly. ones. Mm-hmm. I did find chestnuts at Costco last yes. year. Yes. It turns out I don't really like them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or they were just, you know, not good. I don't sure. know. You never know how long they've been I had no sitting. idea or where they came from, mm-hmm. but it was fun. I also didn't have an open fire to roast them on. Right. That could be part of it. Yeah. I had, uh, sorry, this is a tangent, but one time when I used to work in the schools, I had a meeting with a teacher, and he was like, my daughter and son-in-law went to Hawaii for a week, and we watched the grandkids for them, and all they brought back for us was this tiny tin of macadamia nuts. He goes, I don't like (laughs) macadamia nuts. Would you guys like them? And we were like, sure, I'll eat some. But so there you go. There's a nut story. (laughs) That that's. Do they come from Hawaii? Yes. Macadamia nuts are from Hawaii. I might be disappointed too if that's all I got after watching your kids for several days. Uh, Yeah, I might want a little, little something more. I don't know. But what could you bring back from Hawaii that'd be that cool? Like, all the really cool stuff you can't really travel with. Well, like, maybe a cool handmade, like, piece of art or, like, a bowl or something. These are things I've gotten from people. Yeah, that sounds cool. helping while they're away. But anyways, there is your gift advice. Yeah. More (laughs) than a tin of nuts when your parents watch your kids for your vacation to Hawaii. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Okay. I will keep that in mind if and when I ever get to go to Hawaii. Right? Mm, Someday. Yeah. Okay, and then the second part of the episode, we have your friend. Yes, my friend Sam comes on and we talk about uh, harvesting walnut syrup. I guess it's not, you're harvesting the sap and you're making the syrup. Right. I did ask that question when I met him after we were done recording, because I'm not in this recording either. Because um, I, I know there are some syrups that are made from the actual nuts. Yeah. And like Bob, we talked about Bob's pine cone syrup. Yeah. Is made from actual pine cones. Which I think you would call that more of a simple syrup. Yeah. Where you're boiling mm-hmm. an item to flavor. You're adding the sugar. You're adding the sugar. Mm-hmm. And this 
when you tap the sap from a tree, the sugar comes from the tree. Yes, yes. So I did ask for that clarification, and he brought us a little taste. He did. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So delicious. I didn't know he was bringing that, or I would have brought something to taste it on. <laughs> so we just had to eat it off spoons. But really, that was fine. I think that's pure, right? Like Because yeah. they do those, like, maple... Um, syrup tastings oh, they where do. you get just I hate a little syrup. spoonful that sounds so horrible to I me. know I'm not I mean I like it sparingly yeah. right this walnut stuff I could get behind okay. way more than maple syrup yeah, I, <laughs> I just never have loved maple mm-hmm. but I do like this it's just kind of nutty and sweet but we'll get to that later yes okay so on for onto the show. Onto the show. Right? I don't know how to transition this. I don't think we've done it this way before. We haven't. But here's Dave. Hello, gardeners. Sarah here again. I am back for part two of nut harvesting with Dave's on um, because we just couldn't stop talking. It was too good the first time, and we only got through trees growing and a little bit of managing the orchard. And today we really want to talk about the actual harvesting, processing, and storage. Um, because there's a lot of questions around that. It's it's both, you want to do the right thing, but it's also not as hard as some people make it sound or feel like it might be. Um, and it matters if you're trying to store nuts for you know consumption through the winter. We want to do it right. So thanks for being back with us. Yes. It's the same welcome. day for us. You can look behind the curtain. We just, <laughs> you know, finished one episode and started the next. But um, for everyone listening, it's been two weeks. So let's look at the trees we talked about last week. So we talked about, for anybody who missed last week, go back and listen um, to the episode where we talk about profiling each tree and, and the different nuts that we have to choose from in Nebraska. But we talked about hickories, hazelnuts, Chinese chestnuts, black walnuts, and pecans. And I think we should just talk a little bit about the actual harvesting of each one um, and then what it takes to process and store them so that they can either be kept for yourself or sold. So um, what works best? Is it similar enough that we should do harvest, process, store, or should we do each tree? I think they're similar enough. Okay. So when it comes to harvesting, one of the questions I've gotten is, do we pick it off the tree? Do we pick it off the ground? Is one bad? Do I get, you know, how do I, how do I pick it? <laughs> and it, and it, it's, a, it's a big deal. I, and I, I said earlier in the earlier episode that I was so anxious when I initially had a crop of pecans that uh, I wanted to harvest them right away. And, and that's a big mistake. And you really get anxious about grabbing them when the squirrels are taking them every mm-hmm. day. Yep. But if you strip them off the tree uh, too soon, the result is there won't be any nut meat filling the pecan. It doesn't seem like a week would make that much difference, but it's crucial that uh, you uh, you simply walk up to that pecan that's on the tree and with two fingers just press on either side of the hull and it will pop open if it's ripe. And if it's just holding tight, you have to leave it. Or you have to allow the squirrels to have it if you can't keep them away. Yeah. Otherwise, you could have it, but you won't get anything for your troubles. Yes. And, and yeah. hickory would be the very same way. Um, uh, if you try and harvest uh, chestnuts, 
a little early. You'll notice when you open them up that uh, the the chestnut on the inside is not the chestnut color, but it's more of a cream color. And sometimes those will go ahead and darken and be just fine as as you uh, cure them. But uh, uh, I've checked that by going up with my pruners and just snipping the end of one open yes. and kind of peeking in there. Yes. And if you get see that nice chestnut color, go ahead. Yes. But uh, and you might get the odd one that's not ready. Yes. Uh, but you want to make sure. Yes. Yeah, they're ready. And, and with all of these, if you have a long stick and just bop them, if they drop, or, or if you can hook a limb and shake it, if, if they drop pretty readily, you're okay. Yeah, yeah. And with walnuts, um, they have that same fleshy stuff on them as pecans and hickories do. Yes. When you squish them, they won't pop open. Right. But they, you will either, it'll be hard yes. or you'll be able to make a dent in it'll it. It'll be an indent. Yeah. Yes. And if they're completely green, that's a pretty good sign. Walnuts are helpful visually because they do make that change yes. from really green to kind of yellow green. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And then when it comes to harvesting, is there, so when they're ready, they do start falling from the tree. Yes. And you can, you know, if you've tried the tests we've talked about, pick them straight off the tree. Is there anything wrong with picking the nuts up off the ground? Not at all. Um, that would be the ultimate. If, if we if we don't have that luxury in Nebraska, uh, my friend Ted Rethmeyer has traveled to the southwest over the years in the wintertime, and he, he has told me about pecan orchards in New Mexico that are up to 5,000 acres in size. Oh. And he has stopped and asked to uh, ask questions of the growers or the workers there. And he asked them, uh, where are the squirrels? Uh, I, I don't know that he ever got a, a good answer, but I suppose down in what is a natural desert, uh, or, or very arid area that uh, the o only way they grow pecan trees is with irrigation, mm -hmm. but the natural predators are just aren't there. Aren't there? Yeah, that makes sense. And so these folks allow the pecans to fall to the ground, and, and Ted's standing there in December, and he's Thinking saying, "When are you craziness. guys going to pick these up? Because yeah. some's like going to eat them." <laughs> yeah, not there. No. So here, yeah, it's very hard. There's I've not discovered anything wrong with any nuts on the ground. That's the nice thing about the hard shell is that husk might start rotting away, but the shell protects it. Except, yeah, finding them mm -hmm. is the hard part mm -hmm. after the squirrels. If you do, though, or if you if you do, like, you know, shake a limb and get a bunch to drop, yes. uh, we have these nut picker things. Yes. It's like a wire basket. It's like the opposite of an apple picker. Instead of reaching up to the tree, you're reaching down to the ground. It's like a wire basket on a stick, and it rolls along the ground. And as you roll over a nut, the wires kind of separate, and they pop back shut and pick yes. up that nut. It'll accumulate as as many as you want up yeah. to a point. And yep. And then you just empty it into a bucket and keep going. Yeah. But my experience is that the walnut, the black walnut, would be the only one that you could you could pick up off the ground. I, I won't say it's... It's impossible. You'll occasionally find a pecan on the ground, but it's Not really rare. Yeah. The squirrels are getting them up in the trees. Yep. 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 And if they hit the ground, they'll grab them. If, if the chestnuts hit the ground, the deer will stomp them. So yeah. chestnuts would have to be uh, pulled from the tree as well if you want to. Yeah. We talked crop. briefly in the last episode about 
picking chestnuts and a good leather glove is important. Yes. Um, and then also we've picked them by holding up a bucket and cut, cutting them off with pruners so that you, in theory, never touch them, but I still wear gloves. <laughs> yep, you <laughs> have to. It's still too close to for comfort for me. Yeah, so then now that we have them, we've harvested, uh, we have to process them. Uh, nuts have to be processed to clean off the husks, but then they also have to be cured so that they last in storage. Yes. And if anybody grows onions or garlic, you've you've done something mm-hmm. very similar. Absolutely. And in terms of the, we, I guess last episode we talked about the walnuts and, and getting them cleaned up. With chestnut, hickory, pecan, I've built a drying rack outside that's roughly four by eight feet and uh, using hail screen. Uh, bring that crop in and instead of trying to manually pull those husks off, whether it's the chestnut or, or, or a pecan or, or hickory, just lay them out in the sun. And it varies, but it's amazing in, in three or four days how those things will begin to open up. And, and then peeling off the husk is simple. You yeah. do, it, do yeah. it with some leather gloves again. Uh, if it rains through the night, there, there's no harm there. And, and I've had them laying out there for, for, for a couple weeks. Yeah, there's no hurry in getting the husk off. No, it's yeah. you're back to New Mexico again. Mm-hmm. They can lay there till December, uh, the way those folks operate. But uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, it, it's just kind of a, a nice way to let Mother Nature dry them out. And there's mechanical ways you can remove them. But uh, the ones that don't open up, the pecans that don't open up, probably came off too early. Um, something wrong with them. It, you can still try to crack them, but... Uh, that's a pretty good indicator. If if the hulls roll off, you you're on no, your you're way. No, you're good. Yeah, yeah. And with the chestnuts, they that spiny shell will do the same thing. It'll it it'll sure open will. up if you allow it to dry out. It sure will. And you kind of talked a little bit about it last episode too. But with hickories and pecans, that fleshy shell it dries out and it opens up. With walnuts, it starts to rot, but it's still gooey and gross. Yep. So. My tendency with walnuts is I don't harvest to the quantity that a nut grower does. So I think your practice is probably different. But before I even put it in the bucket, I stomp it with my boot and squish that goo off. Yep. And I still pick up a nice slimy walnut. Yep. But I've started the process. I'm guessing when you harvest in quantity, that's not as efficient. That's true. Um, A lot of my friends have... uh processing equipment that that is electrical uh, one of their favorites is uh, if, if you have access to a used potato peeler that a oh. restaurant would use you can dump them in there and, and I don't know the mechanical side of that but but uh, it, it's it must be about a 10 gallon container and water rushes through it and and there's uh, something inside there that batters those nuts and uh, they come out nice and clean interesting yeah i'll have to look that up i don't know that i've ever seen a potato peeler of that scale but it makes sense i understand they're available i i I don't know maybe a hundred dollars for a used potato peeler i don't know who knows interesting we'll have to look up maybe i'll find a video of that functioning You told us about your method, so one yes. this wouldn't get the husks off, I'm guessing. You have to you, pre-husk you'd them. You'd still have to knock the husks off and then load them in. And then there is the actual um, uh, commercial walnut huller. 
and that's a combination of, uh, of brushes that'll actually tear the hull off, and the hull comes out one end, and then as the, the walnut in the shell is traveling through the machine, it's being washed with a, a lot of water and tumbling, and uh, uh, out it comes. Now, that's, that's more of a two or $3,000 Yeah, you want to have a lot of walnuts yeah. for that. If you have an old um, cement mixer, that would do small batches with an electric motor on it. Again, you stomp off the outer hull and you put the slimy nuts in the cement mixer with a, a whole bunch of water and let it run for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Dump the water and repeat. Yep, makes sense. Like larger scale of your bucket with the yeah. paint yeah. spinner. Yep. yep. All right. Now that they're clean. Yep. So... We don't just go from harvest cleaning to eating. We have to cure them to get, I guess, the exactly. best flavor. It gets kind of like green it's got, taste. It's got a green taste initially. It, it, it's not really uh, a bad taste, but uh, much better if you can give them 30 days to cure. And, you know, um, when they come out of the bucket and they're all wet and soaking, again, back on a drying rack, again, protect from squirrels having access to it. And, and let them lay on that rack for two or three days in the air. And then uh, uh, mesh bags, such as an onion bag, that sort of thing, load them in there, hang them uh, uh, in, in your basement if you want or uh, in your garage, somewhere where it's free-flowing air. If you, if you get busy and you don't have the time to crack those through the winter, and going into the next summer with walnuts that you'd harvested the fall before, best to keep them in in the basement somewhere where it's the temperatures not going to vary widely. Gotcha. And so it, it, most of us have air conditioning in our homes, um, and and you'll do fine. But I've stored them outside through the summer and and hundred degrees, and then it drops and then it's back to hundred degrees, and and you do end up with with walnuts that are rancid. Yeah, yeah. I have eaten a rancid walnut, and I did not enjoy the experience. So yes, yes. So, so we've you've dried them, and then you put them in the onion bag to cure. How long does that? I mean, is it dependent About 30 on thirty days? Okay. Yep. And is that just walnuts, or kind of all? I'd do we say need to do with all pecan of them? and hickory as well. Okay. Um, I I think uh, I think thirty days is is just kind of the golden rule, and and it it works fine. It's easy to remember too. Yep. Yeah. Um, is that kind of the same for a hazelnut, or is that more something you could eat a little fresher? I'd say the same for same, hazels. Same for hazelnuts. Okay. I've not I've not harvested a lot of them, but uh, but I would say it would have to be uh, a similar thing. Okay, they are different cleaning. Instead of we've got the hickories in their shells and we or husks, and we've got the walnuts in their fleshier husks, and then we've got the hazelnuts are kind of in this papery cup yes which is almost similar to like an acorn cap it looks really papery but if you start to try prying that thing open it's harder than it looks it is uh, and it's the same in my experience if you've harvested them ripe to lay them in a drying rack and as they dry they'll fall out of there yes if you get in a hurry and you're trying to crack them open pull them out it it takes a lot of effort and it's just not worth it's it. It's not worth it. If you, you just let it lay in the sun for a few days. They'll just open themselves. Protect them from mm -hmm. the predators. 
Yep. They'll be fine. Yeah. All right. And then I think you mentioned something about, so when we are storing them long term, it's, is it, do we have to have like a really cold basement, like a cold cellar or just we're trying to keep the temperature from rising and falling frequently? I, I think it must be the fluctuation and maybe okay. the extreme hot temperatures uh, yeah. for outdoor storage. Um, I think uh, as long as they're in the shell, um, you should be good for a year indoor storage. And, and most people will, will find time either in the winter to crack them or even the following summer when it's so uncomfortable outside. You can spend time in the basement and, and, and finish cracking what you've mm -hmm. harvested, and then you'll be ready for the the new year. And uh, all all these nut meats that you're you're getting from the shell, then go right to the deep freeze with them. Okay. And you're. I was going to be my next question because yeah. in the store you buy nuts and there's no shell. Yeah. Um, and I would imagine there's a shelf life on that. There definitely is. Yes, and and the. Deep freeze, uh, I'm pretty sure, is almost indefinite storage. Okay. Uh, they just—it's all about the fat that's in the nut meat and and uh, controlling uh, the them turning rancid. Yeah. And we've seen that at home. You know, if if, if we we like pecans and walnuts uh, almost every day, and uh, but the when they're in a container in a drawer or in a cupboard. The, it's it's a limited shelf life. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you for finishing that conversation that we started last time. I just did not feel like we had ended it. I thought we left people kind of hanging. We, we grew them some nut yes. trees, but we didn't get to the eating part, and that's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for, for two conversations in one meeting. I really uh, appreciate you're it. You're welcome. Okay, for the second part of this episode, we have a little different uh, interview. Now that we've talked about harvesting and processing for cracking nuts and using them to eat or bake with, I have one of my friends here with me, Sam. He farms up in Saunders County um, and has a really unique way of using the nut trees that grow around his property. So, Sam, you guys, you farm with your father-in-law up in Saunders County, which is where I live, too. And... You guys moved into an older farmhouse, and you had a lot of walnuts around you. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that you've been doing, how many years have you been making walnut syrup now? I guess hobby scale last year was the biggest year, but uh, maybe at three or four now. Three or four. And yeah. now you've been taking it to the farmer's market and stuff, too. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So I just, I had never heard of walnut syrup before you started making it. Um, I'm actually not a maple syrup fan, and I know that's... Good. that's Horrible to say, even the real stuff, I just don't like maple, um, so I don't eat syrup. And when you started making walnut, I didn't really want to try it, and mm. you made me, and it's really good. It's different. It's completely yeah, different. Yeah, it's, it's hard to explain the taste of it, but I know uh, compared to what you buy in the store, you know, most of it is just, you know, flavored corn syrup. Right. And the, it's just so interesting that the a black walnut tree, which I don't even like, you know, the flavor of the actual walnuts myself... But this tastes nothing like, you know, what you would expect from a, a walnut or anything like that. No, it's just kind of, it's sweet like any syrup, but it's just kind of like fuller flavor of, mm -hmm. to like a pancake or something than like, I don't like just intense maple flavor that maple yeah. syrup brings. This kind of just like... It. And there are parts to, to making it, you know, through the boil and other and other processes that can change it from mm. you can have a lighter flavor or a lot heavier, smokier flavor as well. So it just depends on, 
and also beginning or end of the season kind of adds to it as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what gave you the idea in the first place? Being bored and looking at stuff (laughs) on YouTube and just uh, caught my eye and felt interested to look into it a little more and realized that we had so many of the black walnuts around our home that it made just easy enough to go through and find something to do with them. Basically. Especially if you don't already like eating walnuts, because that's kind of the obvious thing is picking up walnuts. And that can be kind of time consuming. Not that Mm -hmm. syrup isn't. Uh, And I know you've been planting a lot of trees, but you have to do something in the meantime before, you know, those little little guys start producing fruit and stuff. So I think it's really cool. Do you want to walk us through kind of when syrup season starts and what the process looks like? Yeah, it changes a little bit year to year, but normally it's about mid-February. But it's it's more dependent on the temperature than anything, because in order to tap a tree, it has to be, oh, around 32 to 45 during the day and then freezing at night. And if those conditions aren't met, it's there's no sap going to flow because, you know, the tree is pushing water uh, up and down through the bark and everything like that, getting ready to wake up. And that's the, that small uh, time that we can catch it that when the tree is pushing the sugars back up. Because as soon as the buds start forming and break, the sap turns really, oh, kind of brown and cloudy and then mm-hmm. all the all the good flavors are gone it just kind of is like dirt interesting so it's probably like using its stored sugars Correct. and then when it starts actually photosynthesizing and it's whatever yeah cool um and that, what what how do you get it out uh same as I mean, that sounds really obvious but for somebody who's <laughs> never seen how syrup is harvested I was going to say, I mean, a lot of people at one time or another in their lives have seen, you know, the maple trees in the Northwest, they go up and they, they tap the tree, but it's it, very close to the same way is just, uh, I just take a small drill bit and then I buy these, these plastic taps that are tapered that fit. And for, if anyone's seen a cross section of a walnut, you know, the, the outer inch or so of the sapwood is, is lighter color. And then the inside heartwood is dark brown and you only drill in as far as, as the inside edge of the sapwood because any further you know you don't want to harm the tree and any and, but it doesn't produce anymore if you go past that you're just collecting it in buckets and Correct, bringing it yeah. in and then after you bring in the buckets what are you doing with them i guess that one of the main differences between maple and walnut is that maple trees you know they'll produce you can probably get five gallons a day off of a good tree off of a single tap but walnuts it's it's much less and the sugar contents a lot less because just for example, last season, uh, I got 400 total gallons of sap, and then that boiled down to eight gallons of syrup. Woo! So it's, it seems kinda, like a I lot mean, of work. Eight gallons of syrup is still kind of a lot. Mm-hmm. Not if you're trying to make a business, which kind of explains why the yeah. business is in maple syrup. Yeah, but it's uh, each, you know, maple, They've everyone can kind of just go the cookie cutter way because everyone's been doing it for decades and decades, and walnut is honestly a very new thing uh it's been around for a while but as far as people doing it these days as i think i'm one of four or five in the state that do it at at this sort of scale i'm sure there's a lot of hobbyists that do just a little bit but that's trying to sell any of it correct yeah yeah i've never at all the farmers markets and whatnot that we go to i've never seen anybody else 99 percent of the time someone comes up and looks at it what's that (laughs) yeah so, I mean, even people make maple syrup in this state, too. It's just that that temperature 
perfection that you described, it doesn't happen for as long or as predictably as it does in the Northeast. So we don't get, you know, quite the amount of syrup that people are looking for to run whole businesses off of. Yeah, and then I'm I'm going I'm looking for trees that are basically 30 plus years old. I mean, they have to be very good size. I mean, we can we can get away with a few smaller ones, but it just doesn't uh, it doesn't produce enough to make it meanwhile to or worthwhile to tap and and to go through all that. And just for our area by Prague, there's a lot of silver maples and I did attempt to I got maybe 35 gallons of sap a couple of years ago, but once I boil, I got it bo- halfway boiled down and it did not smell good. <laughs> oh. I didn't even attempt, so <laughs> it, it got chucked. So what does it, the boiling look like? I think when you first started, you're just doing it on the stove, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Just in a pot. Like, I mean, I think we've all boiled something down. If it's tomato sauce or soup, you're just boiling it. And as it steams, the water content's leaving and it leaves behind the sugar content and the flavor. Um, but as you've gotten to do more, I'm guessing you can't put 400 gallons on your stove. Pretty much. Once you hit that five-gallon mark in your normal <laughs> kitchen, it starts <laughs> getting a little worrisome. But I mean, one year we had just, you know, the big turkey fryers and the big pots doing that way. But that that burns a lot, a lot of propane. Mm-hmm. But uh, last year I took, uh, it's an old 275-gallon diesel tank that used to run our, our furnace at our house. And I cut the top off and welded some pieces on it and so and then bought from i believe michigan it's a two foot by three foot stainless steel pan Mm. that is well nine inch tall and so it can hold upwards of you know 12 15 gallons at a time and then i just make a wood fire in the tank underneath and set it all up that way and i can get probably maybe three to four gallons evaporation an hour doing it that way maybe a little more that's not bad. Do you have, is it pretty like steady if you get the fire going and bank it, it'll keep going overnight or do you pause? Oh man, I'm out there all the time. You're just it's, checking on it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause short of uh, adding new sap in, um, and I actually have a smaller tank on top that just, you know, you have, you got to treat the sap like milk mm-hmm. because with, even with a, you know, 2% sugar content, it'll still go bad and you can tell it, it's, it's kind of nasty. So we try to use it or keep it cold or use it as fast as we can. And while you're boiling, you know, if you've got 60 gallons to go through, it takes a long time. Like, you know, start at 7, 8 in the morning and I've fallen asleep out there until about 1 a.m. at times just trying to keep it going. And Do you have to if if you got like as it starts boiling down, do you have to be careful then that it doesn't burn? Oh, big time. Okay, And so you just add more sap in to keep it. Yeah. Wet. Okay. And so that, and it, the, the peak evaporation obviously is when it's, it's boiling away, you know, vigorously boiling. And so instead of just dumping in cold sap into it, you know, then it then has to reheat and it takes so much longer. So I've got a little pan next to the, oh, on the edge of the firebox, it kind of warms it up to, you know, relatively warm, then add it, trickle it in a little at a time so it can just continuously mm-hmm. boil because that the, makes sense. The longer yeah. you go, the more, you know, the more sugar that it's uh, the sugar contents increasing. And then it's a lot it's a lot dangerous at the end uh, for that burning. Right. That makes sense. I mean, the same you compared it to milk. That's the same as if you have ever had to scald milk or boil milk. You have to be really careful um, that that I've really ruined some gravy because of that bottom layer of milk burns mm-hmm. on the pan. It gets gross. So you mentioned that there's things that can happen during the process that change the flavor one way or another. Is that where that 
I mean, I'm guessing when sugar starts to burn, you get some caramelizing in there. Yeah, and I've noticed, uh, I mean, just doing your research starting out, they say, oh, the, the syrup at the beginning of the season is is way lighter and or floral, if that. <laughs> and then at the end of the season, it, it kind of like honey, then it gets really dark. And But my experience has been, you know, if you've got 30, 40 gallons to boil down, the shorter time that it's sitting there cooking, it'll bring a lighter product. But then if you're, if you've got, you know, 100, 120 gallons at a time boiling down all day long, if not two days long, the, I've even gone too far a couple times where it gets, it almost looks like motor oil. Oh. I mean, it doesn't taste bad, but it, some people have different, yeah, different preferences yeah. of what they like. I mean, what you brought here is like, it's really not that different oh. than maple syrup in color. Maybe yeah. a little, I don't know, redder. You can't compare it to the <laughs> maple syrup in the grocery store that's just corn syrup. Yeah, but like, colored. if you've seen real maple syrup, it's really not that different in color. Do you keep those separate, or do you mix it all together and blend the the like beginning and the end of the season together? No, no. We just we basically just bottle it as is as it comes in, and okay. every batch, you know, it's every maybe once a week, maybe more in the the height of the season and then you're just you're just canning it in a canning jar uh that's what we've been doing previously but uh just for our our own sakes it was easier my wife does a lot of canning so obviously Mm -hmm. we had a bunch but at farmers markets i've noticed that that people almost just have glossy eyes whenever they see cans and they just go on it's all the same so this year i'm i'm ordering a whole bunch of you know the the stereotypical syrup bottles with the caps and all that. And that, that'll save us a lot of times. So we don't have to, you know, hot bath them, which it is shelf stable. Um, cause we boil it to about 68 bricks, which is 68% sugar. Okay. And so it is shelf stable without that, but we did the extra process just in case. In- okay. So it's the sugar content that makes it shelf stable. Yes. Same as okay. honey, you know, and honey, you- honey's 90 some percent, but syrup, maple, walnut, anything, is right around that, you know, 67 to 70 percent. Interesting. To be shelf safe. And if you go more than that, it'll actually form sugar crystals. Uh, kind of like, you know, honey, yeah. and it sits a long yeah. time. It'll do the same, but there's no way to bring it back. Interesting. Okay. So when I open the jar, I tend to keep it in the fridge afterwards. Is that correct? Or you don't have to do that? You shouldn't have to. We do it at, just out of habit. Yeah. Because, but. That's where I look for the syrup, is in the yeah. fridge. <laughs> and because it's in a jar, so we tend to serve it with a spoon, and I always wonder what gets put back in it after mm-hmm. that spoon's been in and out a few times, so I do put it in the fridge. One thing I haven't spent a lot of time on, but you can actually make granulated sugar out of this. Yes, I remember that. You were yeah. talking about that last year. I've only tried it a couple times, but it's basically you just, cook, you know, instead of stopping at 68%, you cook it up till it hits about 260 degrees depending on your altitude and then immediately take it off and put in a stand mixer or a hand mixer and beat it basically into and then it's it's almost like magic you it hits that certain water percent number that certain point and then all of a sudden just goes from a liquid like a you know like a gravy consistency liquid to crystals Interesting and granular, but the hard part is not getting it to clump up. So you got to keep going, and it, it takes a little finesse. But we've done that, and and then it's it's no different than baking sugar, like brown sugar, kind of, or or is yeah, it more because it's got all the flavor of, of walnut, but it's that yeah, it's more consistency more powdery of brown than, sugar. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, I remember you talking about that, but I don't remember trying it or anything. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. I have a surprise question for you. Oh boy. So 
I didn't realize your dad had so many nut trees at his house, but you were showing pictures the other day of his little nut orchard. Oh, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit what he got planted there? He's in Lancaster County. Correct. Yeah. Down over by Eagle. So I'm really curious what he's got planted all there together. You had hazelnuts and Yeah, because I guess because that, that's just what we did growing up was help him plant, <laughs> plant everything. <laughs> yeah, because he's got, you know, the first row is, is hybrid walnuts. Second is hybrid pecans. I couldn't tell you the name of the hybrids for the life of me. But then later, uh, put in a number of hickories, hazelnuts. Um, you know, he's got almost every oak known to man, all that. But it's, cool. it's most years is, you know, we're so busy during August, September that we don't get out there till later. And the squirrels have basically taken everything. So it's hard yeah, to get yeah, anything. That makes sense. I, that explains a lot about why you so quickly noticed the walnut trees and looked for something to do with them if you grew up planting oh, yeah. trees. So. I didn't realize he had, I knew he had a few, but I didn't realize he had quite that many. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. And there, and you know, there are a few folks uh, in Saunders County that a few years ago were a part of the the Valparaiso, I guess the Nut Growers Association, if that's, if that's correct. Um, And they've got acres and acres. Like I I talked to someone the other day that I forget they had 200 plus walnuts, hybrids or not, but uh, planted at 20 foot by 20 foot spacing. Okay. And I haven't made it out there yet, but it's, you know, always, if I'm going to expand this venture, looking for more trees, because I'm basically just walking through creeks with with buckets in my hand. Yeah. Trying to find more. But if, but the trees have to be, you know, that, that tappable size, large enough to be worth it. Yeah, I think we may have, for a Forest Service event, toured one of those places on the southern edge of Saunders County not that long ago. And I think they talked about them being planted originally for timber. Uh, But as we talked about with Dan last episode, that's where, you know, he got into the Nut Growers Association because he planted for timber, started realizing how long it was going to be for that. And in the meantime, they had all these walnuts to harvest. So, yeah. 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 All right. Well, thanks for sharing. And um, I'll share around some syrup with the rest of the staff so we can taste it. And we'll take a picture so you guys can see what it looks like. If people want walnut syrup... As you said before we started recording, you don't ship, but you guys are at a lot of farmer's markets. Yeah, correct. You know, Wahoo, David City, North Bend, you know, it's just kind of the Saunders County area, sometimes Waverly. Uh, Otherwise, you know, just look us up on Facebook or one way or the other. I'll share. It's under Creole Baking, right? Yes. Okay. So that's Sam's wife makes kolaches and all sorts of baked goods, and they're at a lot of farmer's markets. So I'll link to her Facebook and uh you can also message and, you know, I'm sure that we can find a way to yeah, connect so you with Yeah, we're walking syrup. in here. Somebody messaged me looking for some. <laughs> looking for so syrup. It's, yeah, so. it's all the time. All right. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, thank you. That was so much fun. That was a lot of good information. I wish you'd been part of the interviews, but I'm very glad you're here for the ending. They went less off the rails without me there. That might be true. <laughs> <laughs> I am the one who gets us in crazy directions. But I am excited to know what your plant of the week is. Okay, so my plant of the week is a monstera, which Ooh. is a house plant. Yeah. Um, it I got it from previous guest of the pod, Denise. Yes. La- at last oh. year's she had garden that bucket. Walk. Yes, mm-hmm. she chopped up her monstera. Mm-hmm. I I think I got some too, and it's right there. Oh it's no, not that's, living anymore. That's not a good. 
No, it's not good. <laughs> well, here's the thing about my monstera is I am notorious for putting off planting things, right? So it's still just in a pot of water. Well, like just in a thing of water, all these stems and it's doing great just sitting there in the water. And then I am like, I feel like if I pot this, it's going to die. <laughs> my grandma had one with a beta fish under it. Yeah. So maybe you should just get a fish. I should do that. It like nibbled on the roots and then it pooped and fertilized the plant. Yeah. I don't know how it all worked, but huh. it was really neat. It was a special pot. Yeah. That like held the plant up top. Well, you don't want it to have access to all the right. roots. It was just eat and eat and eat. It didn't. It ate okay. what I needed. Well, that's good. In my luck, I would probably get a very hungry fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can't have you can only have one because otherwise right. they fight each other. Yeah. So, you know, it was a big plant. Mm -hmm. So maybe it was just oh, yeah, and the fish could eat. Yeah, I think my problem was that I did planted water. it. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> I think I planted it before it had enough roots. Oh, uh -huh. And then I put it. My office is all very tall. Yes. So I have to stand up on my desk to water my plants. Yes. And I should have kept it down while it needed care. I have helped water your plants in the past. It's a challenge. <laughs> it's a challenge. I shut my door because I don't want people walking <laughs> down the hallway going, what's she doing up Plus, there? Plus, I almost spilled on your computer. <laughs> yeah, that's concerning, too. So, But it's just like our offices are in the basement and you mine should. is up really high. I mean, we're garden level. Yeah. Okay, you're right. We have windows, so we're not completely in the basement. That's the way they make it sound fun. You could move your Bloombox display over and your plants closer to the window. I actually, they're there on purpose because that plant... Oh, needs want, less yeah, light. Yeah, it needed less light. Got it. It was getting fried if I put it too close to mm -hmm. the window. That makes sense. Yeah. I did have another house plant. Don't want to ask me what it is. That was dying, dying, dying. And then finally I went, I don't know. And I put it on the floor. And now it's great. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's a floor just, dwelling plant. It's a floor dwelling plant with, I think, more indirect light yeah. is what it needed. I have that problem. In my, I thought my sunroom, like our porch on our house got closed in and it's our dining room. When we moved in, I thought, I have a sunroom, but yeah. it's so intense. Oh, it, yeah. It, like, the only thing that I can keep in there is cacti. Oh. And I do. Well, and fun. those um, lifesaver plants. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you can't kill those, so that helps. I got close. <laughs> I've come close, but they come back. <laughs> they do. Okay, what's your plant of the week? My plant of the week is my society garlic, which... Which just sounds, it sounds so, like, kind of... Bridgerton. It does. That's what made that's yeah. what it made me think of. Anyway, it's like a very, very intensely garlic favored plant from Africa. Okay. But you eat the top. It doesn't make bulbs. Oh. And so it is like the green top. Yeah. And so like similar to chives, I guess. Mm -hmm. But it also makes more of a plant where like chives make individual stems. Sure. So the flower. Like I the regular know. garlic. Well, the flower. The seed had, the packet had purple flowers on it. Okay. I guess if you give it the right light and stuff. Mm hmm But people keep it as a houseplant so they can get garlic. Oh, it's a houseplant. Yeah. Well, you could take it outside in the summer. This is all, you've talked about this before. And yeah. You must not it's have a, been paying attention. It's okay. It's kind of a crazy thing. I learned about it on another podcast mm -hmm. and I was like, I want that. So I bought some seeds. They've been tough to germinate. Darn. My third round of trying, Ooh. I got six to germinate. 
out of 12 that I planted. And you germinate like prairie plants. Yeah, sometimes. but like at work, <laughs> sure. things always work better at work. Yeah. <laughs> when you're doing it in the greenhouse mm-hmm. with all the right tools and yeah. humidity and stuff. It's not the same at home. Yeah. I did have to soak them overnight before I planted them. That's what got them to germinate. I would have given up so many times. <laughs> I want this plant. I'm a very stubborn person. <laughs> or I would have said, Bob, will you grow this for me? I, that didn't even cross my mind. Well, I started trying in the middle of the summer, which I knew was yeah. wrong. It was too hot, you know, too hot. And yeah. I've been babying these things along for like a month and they finally have two leaves. And I'm starting to wonder what I'm doing. Let's see if Bob will grow some. Well, I don't like, I, I'd have to wait. I don't want to wait. He could start it in the hoop house. No, Is it not hot enough? No, okay. it's only like 38 degrees in there. Well, if it doesn't work out. Then I will bring, my thought was I'll try a few times. Yeah. And then if I can't get it to go, then in April when the greenhouse heats up, I'll bring them in there. Or the new house. Yeah, that's yeah. Could be hot in January. That's true. We'll see. Um, and then we could add it to our spring affair herbs. Yeah. I only got a hundred seeds. I, I know. Uh, just, but we'll try it. Yeah. And then if it goes well, we could keep we growing could add it. it in 2025. Yeah. <laughs> I I am excited about it. I think it's really cool. And also a herb that like uh-huh. isn't on your normal list. Of yeah. Because so, I thought about it. I was like, I I just need something different. Yeah. And I'm really bad at growing chives. So that might be my problem is. I think chives are hard. Okay. Thank you for saying that. Because people. And cilantro are always talking about how chives just take over their garden and i'm like what mine look like shoelaces flopping i have all over the place the two things that people say take over are chives and dill i killed my dill both of them like i can get one scraggly plant and then the the cucumbers (laughs) no (laughs) the caterpillars eat it all (laughs) the cucumbers ate all my dill and turned into pickles (laughs) that would be awesome (laughs) <laughs> the caterpillars eat it all and then i'm out of i don't have dill yeah it makes me sad i grew one plant but i kept picking it before it was mm-hmm. big enough and then it was just gone yeah. and then i planted another one and it just died so yeah. i don't know meanwhile at my parents house when i was a kid i remember like they planted it one time and then we had a dill patch forever, forever. i think you have to not harvest it yeah yeah but chives have been hard for me and so i thought this might be an alternative to chives Mm-hmm. But turns out starting it from seed is. <laughs> I did also order the seeds off Amazon. Don't well, do that. Sarah, did you take any of the advice you give people? None. I took none of the advice I give other people. It said two day shipping. Seeds could be like three years old. It could be the wrong plant. We'll never know because <laughs> they apparently don't want to grow. Uh, okay. Well, we wish you luck. Thanks. I think it'll be good. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I do too. If I put a grow light on them. There I think you go. Th- I think that'll help. That'll help. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to send your feedback, send your questions. Maybe you know how to grow society garlic. If you have, we would like to hear about it so Sarah can get some tips. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, please. It's how everyone learns about our podcast and kind of what we do and what we talk about. Share it with a friend. Find us on social media and go online and look us up at plantnebraska.org. All right. Bloombox and Bloombox Growing Deeper are both programs of the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum.